0: Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.
1: The realm of possibility is predicated on that idea that we create our lives. And of course, um, we, will, we then have the power we're not subject, we're not victims of anything. We have the power to create stories. And in this realm, we're, we're connected in a different way than we are as in the child or in the, the downward spiral. We define ourselves as connected to others. We do not define ourselves as individuals trying to survive. We define ourselves as living in an abundant world where nothing is personal and the reason the world you'll see that the world is abundant is because when you understand that you're creating your life you can open so many different stories come from so many different points of view that life is always abundant <laughs>
0: I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500 episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com.
2: Life is full of what ifs, some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much like unexpected medical costs that's why united healthcare provides health protector guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs learn more at uh1.com
3: jewelry isn't a gift you give just once it's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it blue nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully
2: Bombus. big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase.
0: As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community. And that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Roz, welcome to The Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Well, it's a
1: privilege for me to be here. Thank you.
0: Well, it is a privilege to have you here. You know, I have been familiar with your work and uh, the work of your husband, Ben Zander, for quite some time, uh, because I was a musician in high school, as I was telling you before we hit record here. Um, And then conveniently, uh, shortly after I had sent an email to your assistant about wanting to get you on the show, your new book, uh, Pathways to Possibility" showed up at my doorstep, uh, (laughs) along with a note from your publicist saying, would you like to have Roz? I said, well, that worked out conveniently. Yes, absolutely. We would like to have, Roz. So, um, I want to start with a question that I have found has been really fun to ask people um, and has been really eye-opening, and that is, what is the very first job that you ever had, and how did that have an impact on what you've ended up doing with your life later on?
1: Well, the very first job I ever had was picking beans at a penny a pound in Cape Rozier, Maine, at the age of about 11, I would say. Uh-huh. And... I remember that because I got the feeling I wanted to stop after five minutes. And of course, I hadn't gotten anywhere near even a penny's worth. (laughs) But I did stick with it. And that taught me something about how you have to have stamina to stick with something and you have to be present. And I would say that I've had quite a bit of stamina in writing these two books. One of them was took five years, the first one, The Art of Possibility, and the second one took me seven years. Uh-huh. And um, you you're not going to get a book out unless you can pick beans at a penny a pound and and pick a pound.
0: <laughs> so. so that sort of um, stamina that comes from experiences like that, I, I myself happen to have had an experience very similar. I, my first job was at McDonald's and my parents wouldn't let me quit. They, they made me stick it out for eight months. Yeah, uh, And, you know, I, I remember thinking, why are you doing this to me? This is just torture. I don't want to do this. I hate this. Uh, but I'm really glad that I did because it made me, one, appreciate how good you have it when you don't have a job like that. Uh, but two, it, it taught me to stick with something very, very long time. I'm curious... Uh, you know, based on on the work that you've done and the the people that you've been exposed to, are there ways that that sense of stamina and that ability to persist at something for a very long time can be developed if you haven't had those sort of um, experiences like picking beans or working at McDonald's?
1: Oh, of course. I I don't, uh, I mean, I've just put together a story that said picking beans and writing a book have something to do with each other. (laughs) I'm not at all sure they do. However... (laughs) um, if you have something that you really want to say, I mean, you have to have something a little larger than the task, than the McDonald's job. You have to be able to think, oh, from this I can learn something else. Or you you have to have a real love in writing. You have to have a love of those words and of being able to get your statement out and get it out accurately and get it out with rhythm, whatever it is that I find so fascinating about writing um it does draw me into a long-term effort if i didn't love what i was doing i wouldn't wouldn't be able to stay through it i also think having the confidence that what you're saying if we're sticking to writing the confidence that what you're saying is actually going to be valuable for people even if you're i mean it could be in some other industry entirely but you have the confidence that it's going to be valuable, and that can waver. If, if the job that you're doing is taking you a long time, you can think, what? Is this going to be valuable? Why would I think so? And I hit that point when I was writing The Art of Possibility, um, in, and I thought nobody wants to hear from me. They actually want to hear from Ben Zander, and I'm the one writing, and it was an impossible situation for me at that moment. And I looked up and I saw that I was writing the chapter called Being a Contribution. Mm-hmm. And it kind of jogged me awake and I said, I'm not feeling that I'm a contribution here, but that's not how you practice that. You practice it by saying, I declare that I am, and there's no backside to it. And I looked around. As soon as I created that as a, as a living story, I looked around and saw that I was sitting at a computer and writing. And I said, well, if I am here and somebody has asked me to do this, the best story for me to go with is that I am a contribution and I don't know where it will go. And, of course, at that point, I didn't think it was going to go far. And as we know, the art of possibility has gone into 17 languages and Lots and lots and lots of copies. So I really hark back to that moment when I shifted from saying, who wants to hear from me? I don't trust myself. I don't have any confidence to, you don't either have, have to have, actually, you don't have to have confidence. All you have to do is make that story stick. Mm-hmm. And then you go ahead with it, and it draws you forward.
0: Okay, so we'll talk uh, uh, in depth about shifting stories and making ideas stick, but uh, before we get there, um, walk me through from being the girl who picks beans for an hour to how you end up doing the work that you're doing today, Um, and and sort of this, like, what is the journey from there to the art of possibility, to pathways to possibility?
1: Okay, then I'm going to make up a story about it, but it's going (laughs) to be good. Okay. (laughs) Okay. The girl who was picking beans at a penny a pound uh, loved being outdoors, for one thing. It was in Maine. And I think if I didn't feel like an independent spirit, being 11 years old with my first job and being outdoors, I probably wouldn't have stuck with it. But I loved those two aspects of that particular job. And as I grew older, I loved being by often by myself outdoors. So I made tents as a child and I painted pictures um, in the wilderness and I loved poetry. I won prizes for, well, I won prizes for paintings as a child, but I also um, won prizes in high school for writing. But these kinds of things, they were a retreat from the busyness of life that allowed me to concentrate. And I loved the feeling of creative concentration. It just was as though it were a drug to me. So, um, but there was another strand to my life, which was that I tended to have to take care of many members of the family because I turned out to be the kind of sturdier one, I would have to say, as a young person not the oldest child. And so I got to be quite a good listener and I got to be able to help people. So when I went, got through college, first thing I did was go to art school, but then wandered over to a job teaching children or, and, and uh, emotionally challenged children, and then I went and got myself a degree that allowed me to do therapy. So the, the role that I had kind of perfected and kind of been stuck into of being the psychological helper became my job line. And then it took some years of thinking out what is the best way to treat people? And I began to hear stories in what they were telling because it was always a creative act for me. Doing therapy was always creative, not technical in any way. So once I started on that, I began to listen to what people were saying as stories. And I began to see that I could see how their lives were going to go by the stories they were walking into. And I began to develop that. And that was a little bit before that sort of therapy was known. And after a while, I thought, I want to get further out than this. Every session I did with a couple or a single person or group, every session was a big creative act for me. And I'd come out of those sessions exhilarated and exhausted. And I thought, Let's get, let's reach a wider audience. So that's where I began to think. I I perfected the theory, which is in the art of possibility. And I was then together with Ben Zander, who had a very wide public. So whenever he had a difficulty, which he ran into very often because he was dealing with such large. Uh, demanding populations, I would become the person that would coach him through those things. And then he got on a stage. um, People wanted to hear about him and leadership and what he thought about leadership. And he came home to me and said, what do we think about leadership? And that started there. And then the Harvard business school press came to him because they saw him on stage in Washington talking about leadership and said, we've got to have a book. And he said, I'll take you to the writer. So they came to me. And that book was a collaboration between Ben and me. And I thought that I'd said there was a, I said everything there was to say about transformation. But seven years later, I said, no, I haven't. Seven years later and a few traumas in between, let me say, I realized it hadn't gone deep enough. And now I was ready to write the book that was really more centered from, my, from me rather than Ben. Actually, Ben was the hero of the art of possibility, mm-hmm. and I was the hidden person. So um, I then chirped up and said, okay, I, I could write another book. And Penguin stood up, and there we are. We came to, and, and then I wrote Pathways to Possibility, which goes much more deeply into the personal mm-hmm. than the Art of Possibility does.
0: Okay, so um, that raises several questions. Uh, mm-hmm. First one is: What did you learn about working with adults from working with children?
1: Um, hmm. Well, I learn from working with children. I learned to be my most expressive self, and I took that into working with adults as well. That is, I could play, laugh, take things lightly, and and then, of course, I found that this, that the fears and anxieties that children have are the ones that are pasted all over adults but hidden under a veneer. And, of course, adults tend to have more of an act going than children. So I, I could see the child in, the, in adults. And I mean the good, all the freedom that a child can have. I could hook into that with adults, and I learned that. And I also learned um, that I learned to see through the veneer and not talk to that I don't talk to the veneer. I talk to the possibility within the person that I say is behind the veneer. And I think probably working with children and working with children of all types and pathologies helped me to do that.
0: Wow. Um So now I I really want to dive deep into this whole idea of possibility because I've read the art of possibility and I've I've done a a decently, you know, sort of thorough scan of pathways um, as well. And, you know, you mentioned this idea of a veneer and I get the sense, man, maybe this isn't my own personal experience, is that when an adult looks in the mirror, they see the veneer and they don't see the possibility within. So how do you go from seeing the veneer to seeing the possibility within yourself?
1: Um, Within yourself. Well, I, I've never answered that, how you yourself go through the vernier and uh, looking in the mirror. And that's an interesting question. Um, the way it's happened for me at, an early, at earlier ages is I have sometimes declared something into the mirror and seen what I declared by doing that. So I've declared, when I felt insecure and ugly, let's say, I've declared, "You're adorable." Into the mirror, and I smile back to myself, and I begin to feel it. So that's that theory of you start the action, and the the story forms around the action and pulls you forward. Um, as As a a therapist, it's not hard for me to see beyond the veneer of other people, but that's not what you're asking me, is it? No. Yeah, you want to know how somebody can do it for themselves. Yes. Um, I think the other thing is to say to yourself, this thing about me being whatever the veneer is, or whatever the veneer is covering up, let's say the, the veneer is I'm so sophisticated... But there are fears underneath um, to know that you've added that story, but it's not an authentic one. You know that when you look in the mirror, you kind of put your chin up and try to look sophisticated, but you know that you're trying to do that. So you also know that you don't actually feel that way, and then you tell yourself that you're feeling, the feeling you're having that you're trying to cover is really coming from a memory, a memory of whatever that feeling is. And then again, then when you can get that distance, you can start recreating yourself as the authentic self. You have to ask me some more questions on that one (laughs) because that will sound a little strange.
2: Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com.
0: As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iphone to learn more. Remember, folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Well, let's get into this whole idea of both the art of possibility and pathways to possibility. Kind of, you know, how do you define that? What is the framework? Um, and, and you know, I think the the bigger sort of question that comes from this is that. There are so many people that attempt to go through some sort of transformation, and yet there's this sort of gigantic gap between, you know, who people want to be and who they actually are, and also the results that some people get from attempts for a transformation and the results that others do. So uh, how, does, how does possibility play into all of this, and, and how can it be applied to our lives?
1: Okay. Possibility is a story— well, in, in our work, and Ben's in Ben's and my work, um, besides I, I have to tell you that we're not married, he's my husband, and we work just as closely together as we did. Um, <laughs> the, that in our work, we have defined a realm called the downward spiral, and we've defined another realm that is completely different from the downward spiral called the realm of possibility, the, each of these realms is a story, and each of them is an attitude and a biology, and they're quite different. So the downward spiral itself is our survival way of being. That is, it's the way we come into the world with the, um, with the command to survive. And so it, that's what I actually call the child story child story where where you live in a world of scarcity it's a kind of black and white world you think you can understand you think that you know reality and you could test for it and figure out what's real which okay and and it is um, you know there's a truth out there it's a reactive way of being you're always struggling to deal with circumstances then that's one way that we all understand is a way of being then there's this other way of being which we call possibility and that is a, is a way of being predicated on first that we've survived and we know it and second that our lives are about, are about creating our lives not um, being subject to a reality there, there isn't reality that we'll ever, ever get access to in the realm of possibility. We can't get access to reality. And Steven Pinker, who is a psychologist at Harvard, says, there's no reason to believe that what we see bears any resemblance whatsoever to what's out there. No reason to believe what we see bears any resemblance whatsoever to what's out there. So the realm of Possibility is predicated on that idea that we create our lives, and of course, um, we will. We then have the power. We're not subject. We're not victims of anything. We have the power to create stories, and in this realm, we're we're connected in a different way than we are as in the child or in the, the downward spiral. We define ourselves as connected to others. We do not define ourselves as individuals trying to survive. We define ourselves as living in an abundant world where nothing is personal. And the reason the world, you'll see that the world is abundant is because when you understand that you're creating your life, you can open so many different stories come from so many different points of view, that life is always abundant. You're not stuck with anything. So the whole of of the art of possibility is based in the distinction between these two realms and and practices to go from one to another. That's what the art of possibility is about. And of course, the practices um, are predicated on stories that are, Created to help you move from one realm to the other. Uh, pathways to possibility. It's based in the same idea of there being a realm of possibility that's different than the downward spiral. I happen to call them adult mind and child mind in pathways, but it isn't about the distinction between them primarily. It's, it's about opening ourselves first getting rid of the kinks getting rid of the resistances by retelling the stories that we find ourselves stuck with then about moving out into the world as clear cleared people so that other people around us feel this and feel actually what is the medium between us which is always love and that medium is transformational for other people so there's no there's no resistance between us and others and they and people grow into that medium it's like a wonderful fertile garden and then the book is about more and more stories that to illustrate how you can connect in a broader and broader way. It shows you patterns in nature that you may not have noticed before. And it gives you practices, but now I call them games to play, that change your biology, connect you, and have you make instant transformations. Now, they may not stick, but as long as you play the game, and one of the games I've... It is called Walk with Spirit and Love. And I have many illustrations of how if a person does that and is aware of that and stands up and walks with spirit and love, that the barriers fall down and kind of amazing things happen. Um, so it is the, the book. This book is about tran- ongoing transformation, um, and a wider widening of the mind and an opening of the heart, taking you into realms that we don't ordinarily go.
0: Okay. So <laughs> having, you know, been exposed to this work, um, and also, you know, some of it, I know, like you guys have, have re- I know you've been mentioned by the landmark forum folks as well. Um, one of the things I think that I found myself challenged with is that I could intellectually understand the idea of the stories that we make up and those that create possibility and those that create a downward spiral. And even though I could intellectually understand that, I couldn't intuitively and you know, intuitively apply it to my life at certain moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm curious why that is um, and then more importantly, how I overcome it or how anybody who will overcome that.
1: Why it is, is because you still are holding on to your feet in one realm, hoping that you can get into another. You're not giving way. Because all the practices in the art of possibility, like giving an A, shall I explain that? You- yes, please do. Okay. Um, giving an A is a practice that came from, a class that Ben Zander was teaching at the New England Conservatory, which was a class for graduate students, and they were all hotshot players, instrumentalists. And they were all apparently worried that they were not good enough because it doesn't matter how well you do something, the fear that you're not good enough, which is coming from the child's story, doesn't go away. And so... Ben, well, anyway, I came up with a way to deal with this, which would be to give everybody an A at the beginning of the year, but that wasn't going to hold it well enough. They were to also to write a letter dated the May that where they'd graduate, saying, "I got my A because this is what happened over the year and and you you write it in the in the present tense and in the past tense saying. I got a gig at Carnegie Hall and this is how it happened and it was and I studied very hard and so on and then I had this amazing triumph at Carnegie Hall. Now it lifted it what it does is take you over any worries of failure because you've already arrived at the end of the year and you've won not lost. And Um, It it opens you up to a kind of generosity. So it gets rid of the anxiety in the classroom. Now, the dean of students noticed that all the the students got A's, and he wouldn't have it, and the students invited the dean into the class so that he could see that everybody (coughs) was, in fact performing at an A level, and they were, because all the performances went up with this practice. Now, this, this practice is something you can take into any area of your life. It doesn't have to do with how well you play an instrument. You can give anybody an A, which is the look, th- this is just looking through the p- facade and seeing the possibility and speaking to the possibility underneath it. And there's a story from The Art of Possibility about a, a girl who was asked her name. And she said, Joy. And, and Ben said, I beg your pardon? And she said, Joy. Now, should her parents re- reassess her name because she's going around being so unpleasant? No, no because we don't give children names as a standard to live up to. We give children names as a possibility to live into. And that's the distinction we make in possibility. So you speak to the possibility within joy, and the possibility within joy is joy. And you keep speaking to that. And what you speak to, Will rise to the surface. We don't know how long it will take but if you speak, keep speaking to the possibility, it will appear It may take a couple of lifetimes, but it will appear <laughs> What usually happens is that if you don't get what you're looking for, you begin to resist so everybody goes into the downward spiral yeah. So that um, this is What was your question? <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> How does this all apply in your life? I guess the real question was the, the sort of difference between logically understanding it and intuitively applying it, because I, I have a very logical understanding of all of this. Um, but it you makes get it. completely logical sense. But, you know, in a moment when I am dealing with something difficult, and I know that the story I'm telling myself over and over is invented, it's challenging at times for me not to find myself in this endless cycle of repeating this story that is actually not possibility, but a downward spiral.
1: Well, you haven't found another story that is more compelling. That sure. That was probably the answer to that. I um, have a story in Pathways to Possibility about where I got stuck in and actually speaking about the other book, but I got stuck writing. And I'd go down to a cabin where I um, I was so excited I was going to go three days a week and have no interruptions and write the book and... Um, the first three-day weekend I went, I took the dog and I went down to the cabin and, and the dog wanted to go for a walk and then it was lunchtime and they had lunch and then I was tired from the week and I took a nap and then I got up at four o'clock and the light was dimming and I thought, oh, wait a minute, I'm getting behind here. And I started to get anxious about writing and then it, it didn't look very inviting, I tried to play some games. You know how that goes. And I did this for two or three weekends, and it got worse and worse. I couldn't manage to get to the writing in any pre-sense. So I had to sit back and say, what story am I telling that is giving me this writer's block? I mean, it's getting bigger and bigger, and it's all story. And so I had to deconstruct what I was so use your brain, deconstruct it and I saw that I tried, what am I saying writing is and I saw that writing was sitting at a computer pushing down the keys, is that what they're calling yeah, and I thought well maybe that is too narrow a definition for what writing could be maybe that's getting me stuck so, and I realized that You see, I knew that one could change a story. I just hadn't seen that I was walking myself into a deep, dark story at that point. So I sat down and figured out that I could change the writing story, and I changed it plausibly. And you have to change it plausibly. You can't make unicorns appear in the room. So I said to myself, maybe I could say that everything I do when I come to the cabin is writing. Taking a walk, feeding the dog, taking naps, playing video games, it's all writing. And and sitting at a computer and pushing down those things is writing. But you see, the minute I started, when I got that story as a possibility, and it was plausible, it was a plausible thing to say, I saw that if I were going to write about possibility it would take a lot more than my brain narrowed down to the 16 bits it can take in per second it can the brain apparently takes in 16 bits of information per second i mean can deal with that but the whole your whole self deals with 11 million bits per second now that's a pretty narrowing of focus there and i said i think writing this kind of book it's not a scientific or historical book. It's a book of the imagination. It better be broader than sitting at a computer. So I bought the story. I incorporated it into my neurons. Everything I do at the cabin is writing, and the more I told myself that story or lived into it, the more I saw the validity of it because I saw how important it was to walk, to keep walking outdoors, and how generative that was. And, I, and when I got stuck, I would dream through the problem. And I, so taking naps was really important. And keeping the brain fueled by going to the refrigerator every once in a while was really important. And sometimes glasses of wine really helped. <laughs> so I stopped worrying at that point because the story took hold for me. Everything I do at the cabin is writing from the moment I arrive to the moment I leave, and the book got written.
0: Okay, so two questions uh, The first is how do we manage stories when they have to do with other people in our lives, uh, for example, if somebody has done something which we feel hurt by or, or wronged by, mm-hmm. um, something that that makes us feel you know emotionally less than I guess is the way to put it. Um, How do you deal with those kinds of stories and and create possibilities in moments like that?
1: Well, taking something personally like that. You know, I had a couple once come into a therapy session, and the man was very upset because the woman had had an affair, and he'd just found out. And I said to him, you're not taking this personally, are you? (laughs) Well, I think he was. But what I was trying to do was expand the frame a bit, because... um, in the adult mind, you don't take anything personally. It isn't about you. If, a, if, if your spouse goes off and has an affair, it's really probably not about you. It's, something, it's about the spouse. And as soon as you are able to contemplate that things are not about you, you're moving into adult mind, which is where you can solve these problems, where you can deal with your emotional hurts. I don't mean that you shouldn't feel hurt. I mean that the whole victim position or the, the position of feeling done wrong to um, loosens up when you get into an adult mind. And you think life isn't fair. I mean, that's one of those terrible stories that people carry around, that life should be fair, and that gets them to lots of trouble. Life isn't fair. And there's a, there's a logic to what's happened, but you just can't see it yet. That's one of the ways of dealing. And you have to deal with yourself. Do I, how much energy do I want to put into creating a new relationship with this person who's hurt me? Creating a healing environment for it. You can decide you don't want to, that's fine, or you can do it. Now, I tell you, I told you that Ben and I were not married... We haven't been for a while, Um, but that I call him my husband, which is a very affectionate term, and we are extremely close. He's my partner in possibility, and he looks to me for clarity. I look to him for the energy that he gets into the world, and we have a mission together doesn't happen to be marriage because marriage wasn't the right form of relationship for us. That was something, that's a new story to tell. Whatever relationship we were in that caused the hurt or got us all involved, maybe isn't the right relationship for us. There are lots of stories that can help you out of those feelings. Don't rush too fast to get out of a feeling though because feelings work on a different time, uh, time frame than thoughts. So the mind can work on another story, notice that you're acting, you're you're in a child's place when you're getting all that upset and feel so revengeful. And, And the feelings, you have to be... Well, feelings, again, are usually memories. If somebody has done something that you feel is really, really bad to you, it's usually a memory of something that was done that you saw in childhood that was less severe but meant to the child something more severe. So, so you're having an, a reactivation of those pathways from childhood, the neurological neurons, n- the neuronic um, pathways that just get triggered again. And you can't tell the difference. But if you say that's a memory probably. That's probably a memory of something that happened to me. And then you get curious. Now you're acting an adult mind and you've got a way out.
0: Hmm. Okay. So (laughs) one other question about all of this, Mm -hmm. Um, this is something I've been just very curious about because I feel that we see a sort of gap in efforts to transform and transformations actually occurring. And I I see this across all sort of personal development uh, or, you know, uh, self-improvement efforts uh, in a lot of people, like why some people actually make the transformation and why they don't. So from the perspective of your work, what have you found to be uh, the thing that that, it, that accounts for that difference?
1: Well, one of the things um, is the pleasure that people get from resistance and from having fights. And transformation is a choice. It's not a it's, you're not compelled to do anything. You can um, scrap on the playing field as long as you want, <laughs> as long as you're not hurting other people very badly. And if you are, somebody's going to punch you in the jaw or do something to stop you. Um, so I, I find, I, I do think that some people develop more curiosity maybe more freedom of mind than other people do. But I don't, can't tell you where that comes from exactly. Um, it may be a tradition in a family. It may be just the way we're born. I don't know. But, the more, but people who are more curious and interested in new things tend to be the ones that will make the leaps, Um, But some people come to it very much later in life and some very early on. It's not something anybody has to do. But I think we've started a movement, actually. Uh, um, And I say we, I would say Ben and I are one little pod in a movement that is rising everywhere towards more adult behavior, transformation, seeing beyond ourselves. You might not think that was true, given what's happening in the world today, but I think it is. And I think a lot of what's happening is in resistance to the strides that human beings are making. That's my story, anyway, and that story helps me to keep moving forward and helping people to transform if they're interested and writing, what I write.
0: Hmm. Okay, so two last questions for you. Um, <laughs> what is one book, uh, piece of music, or or piece of art? It could be a film as well. Uh, that has profoundly impacted your life uh, that you would share with our listeners.
1: Well, the a lot uh, the one I read recently was *Sapiens*. I think that's fascinating because I'm always interested in what. What is human about us? You know, enlarging the frame. But the, the, there are other things like the poetry of William Butler Yeats. I can probably say ten or a dozen poems by heart because I love the sound and I love the sentiment. It's so beautiful. Um, I in the in the. Um, social area. I loved Nickeled and Dimed. Do you know that book? I don't. And It's about a woman who decides to give up everything, access to everything she has and go to the South and start with nothing in her pocket and see if she can make it. And she shows us how you can't, which is very meaningful. I'm also reading something called Addicted, which would tie with that and what it's like the, the anatomy of how people get evicted from apartments, and how, what they can—how it's so impossible to do anything about it. Um, I love classic literature, like um, George Eliot, Middlemarch. The lang- the language—is so exquisite. Um, I don't read a lot of modern novels. I haven't really had time recently, but I may soon. <laughs> all
0: right. So one last question for you, which is how mm-hmm. we finish all our interviews with the Unmistakable Creative. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable?
1: Um, well, you're talking about unmistakable in a large arena because your spouse or your child is unmistakable to you. And for many, many reasons that only the smaller realm of you know, the people can see. So unmistakable is a story, you understand that. It's a story that not everybody shares and they don't share it in, doesn't, there aren't standards to live up to in that one. But I think unmistakable as a possibility to live into opens the mind to the idea that personal expression, that every human being is valuable in what they create and we're looking for that. We're looking for people's expression i'm looking for my grandchildren's expression as well as um, I'm looking for what nelson Mandela what made him unmistakable and in his case, it was the endurance and the stamina to keep the vision um, it's different in i think in so in everybody's case um so do you want me to answer more, more than no, that? No,
0: that, that was perfect. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, uh, it has really, really been a pleasure to, to talk to you and have you here on uh, The Unmistakable Creative. Um, where, where can people find out more about you and your work?
1: Well, I have a website, which is rosamundzander.com. And that's spelled, rosamund is spelled with a U-R-O-S-A-M-U-N-D-E, zander.com. And you can find, I'm not a big Facebook person, but I, you can find me on Facebook. And the book can be bought off Amazon or Barnes and Nobles or Goodreads or in many places. Excellent. Pathways to Possibility.
0: We'll, we'll be sure to link all of that up in the show notes. Um, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us and, and share your insights and your story with our listeners. This has been really cool and
1: phenomenal. It's been cool, I have to say. I've really enjoyed talking with you, and I'm glad I can
3: see you.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, and for everybody <laughs> listening, we will wrap the show with that. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com/four keys. Use the number four: k-E-Y-s. That's unmistakablecreative.com/4 keys. and download your free copy.